It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Hi. <laughs> you have a very strong tendency to project your voice. It's from all the theater training. You know that my mom But you put project me your voice when you're talking on the phone. I know. It's hard to undo because being Now you're on talking stage. too quiet. You're talking too quiet. Okay, how's you have this? to find a Is nice this normal. Well, see, you can look on the screen and see. Right, but that's our normal conversation. Yeah, but look how high my voice is versus yours. Okay. We should start equalizing. Hi. Hello. Yeah. I might need to, like, back up a little bit. Let's start it over. (laughs) No, this is good. But I think I definitely need to bring my audio down. No, we're not starting over. I can edit all of this. (laughs) Why is that so funny? Okay, I've I've adjusted it a little bit. This is part of the behind the scenes. I guess it is BT, hashtag BTS. When that becomes so interesting to people, hashtag I BTS. I've always been really into behind the scenes stuff. I used to process. love that show, Making the Band on on. Um, and actually, this is kind of crazy. I <laughs> do you remember the show Making? Do you the have Band? a Diddy story for me? No, but close. You have a cl- well, who's close to Diddy. You have a Mace story for me. Okay, so <laughs> who's a preacher now? By the way, if you, if anybody didn't know really? Mace, yeah, he's a preacher. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but interesting fact about Mace because we're on the Diddy subject, and then we'll loop back to your story. When the Instagram purge, the first Instagram purge happened like four years ago. Remember that? Mace had like almost a million followers, and after the Instagram purge. He went down to like 200,000 and I remember seeing that pop up all over the place, which I think was the first time like fake followers became uh, a really big news story. Comes full circle. Yeah. All right. So do you remember the band O-Town? Of course I do. So there was a one guy in O-Town named Ashley Parker Angel. Oh God. Do you remember him? No. I don't remember the names of the, okay, the guys. I rem- well, like, how could you forget- I don't remember when that was, but I definitely watched Making the Band. I loved Making the Band. Okay, so that was on in 2000. You're right. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that was, I think, making was that the first Making the Band? That might have been. But anyways, Ashley Parker Angel emailed me. Why? For what? (laughs) Purpose. (laughs) I don't actually, I don't know if he emailed me directly. I think he did. What? It was why? like a mass mailing, okay, at first. But he has a new supplement company, and his company <laughs> sent me supplements because they actually sounded really rad, and I took them today, and they're these focus supplements. And I love experimenting with anything that can help me focus because that's something that I struggle with a lot. I don't have, like, ADHD type of symptoms, but, but I – you know, it's easy for me to get off track. So I've been experimenting with focus supplements to see if they would help. Wait, so you're telling me <laughs> that the pills you gave me when I walked in the door no, before no, no, this recording, not those. not those pills. I just happen to have two brands sending me focus supplements today. Actually, one came yesterday. But anyways, Melissa was over here 
And she was <laughs> emailing. And I was like, Do-? I looked at the email because the signature was Ash. <laughs> and I was like, I think you're actually directly emailing with Ashley Parker Angel right now. But the funny thing was that Melissa encouraged me to try these supplements because they were made by Ashley Parker Angel. Do you think? And we were both like geeking out because they were from making the band. But let me ask you this question. Is he taking his 15 minutes of fame from the early 2000s and using that as a marketing context. So it's like, take these brain supplements from one of the guys from O-Town. Remember him? (laughs) Like, what is the marketing pitch for this? Yes. That's almost literally what's happening. That would be like Clay Aiken coming out with a line of food products and going, season two winner, Clay Aiken. Or was he the runner-up? He was the... I actually met Clay Aiken once at the Apple Store. Other quick story. He came in and I was like, I can't remember if I recognized him or not, but I had his ID. Like back in the day, you had to like show your ID when you made big purchases at the Apple Store. (laughs) And so I remember looking at his ID and being like, oh, that's Clay Aiken. You had to card Clay Aiken for Apple products is what you're telling me. No, like he had to give me his ID. Yeah, you had to card him. Oh, you yeah, because that, that, it was like, yeah, it was like a large purchase. That's funny. I, it's very vague. I mean, this is uh, over you, 10 years ago. Do but. you still remember his song? His big, his big, it sounded very much like a Josh Groban song. Yeah, it was what, like, I always get the two confused. Up, yeah. It was like very yes. Josh groban Yes, and I get the two confused. <laughs> That's funny you say that because I have thought about that sometimes. I'm like, who's who, Clay Aiken or Josh Groban? But Josh Groban, I would, I would say- has had a longer lasting career. Oh, sure. Because he captured part of the market that also likes, um, who is the other crooner that is out there that everybody likes? Um, tell me, Michael, oh God. Buble? Buble. Yeah. I always think about the same fans that love Groban, love Buble. Like you can just lump those people demographically in the same category, I feel. So anybody out there, if you're a Josh Groban fan- uh also you probably are a buble fan we we got on a crazy musical tangent but you're also looping in supplements i also really wanted to just show you the website for these supplements it's called high level and it's actually funny because it says another dimension where life is elevated it actually ties in to our idea of elevation Uh uh-huh so i just started taking the supplements yesterday so i really don't know much but maybe they'll become a sponsor who knows? This could be I serendipitous. But here, here, our co-founder, currently starring in the blockbuster musical Wicked on Broadway, which I did not know, mm-hmm. Ashley Parker Angel became a breakout star in the hit ABC series Making the Band. He became a teen heartthrob. And did you know that O-Town was signed by legendary music mogul Clive Davis? I did. That's impressive. Yeah. The O-Town was a, was a big deal ish at the time clive davis who also is legendary i mean we're talking like some of the biggest acts in history but he signed whitney houston to a deal he signed mariah carey to a deal this is what i'm saying he is that has signed some of the biggest the band was legit oh, i feel you i it was really I, legit that's impressive so he is the co-founder and i'm guessing that whoever ash is signed those signing those emails that went to our lovely assistant melissa that's actually Ashley Parker Angel. That's but exciting. I, but if he's on Broadway, how does he have time to respond to emails about his supplement company? Mm. 
That's a really good question. I mean, it's a question of, because one of my best friends in the world was on Broadway for like 12 years. And the, the demand, the physical demand that it places on you is for real. Because as a singer, you know, you're not doing just like one show a week. You're doing shows, multiple shows sometimes a day. Some of these Broadway shows will do two shows a day. Like that's a lot of strain and stress to place on the body and the vocal cords. So it's kind of interesting that he's doing a supplement right. line and I wonder it ties into all that. if he's probably going he was to taking his own supplements exactly or make taking supplements and then was like hmm because he's got a whole like list there's a lot of them is there anything for like endurance energy or like vocal well, that's what that focus stuff is I'm imagining they sent me a focus one and they sent me a magnesium supplement which I'm also because you know that most people are deficient in magnesium it's the master mineral I think Dr. Mercola said 80% of people are deficient in magnesium. Americans or humans? Mm, probably Americans. Probably Americans. <laughs> I was gonna, it's humans. hard to quantify. Anyway, so, ooh, there's even a keto one. Okay. But anyway, so the reason I wanted to try this, first of all, Melissa and I were geeking out. Like our, our younger selves were like, whoa, Ashley Parker Angel's emailing us right now. Teen heartthrob. Yeah. So, but it worked on us. I'm just saying that marketing worked on us as adults. We were like, that would be like <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Oh, my God. <laughs> Like I would, I would kind of like my inner child would be totally geeked out if I got to email Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Nostalgia. But anyways, <laughs> dating that like puts a good date. He was like my first really big crush when I was little. Oh, this is a fascinating subject. Okay, but anyways, I'm just saying that Ashley Parker Angels Company is called High Level, and all of their products are in biodegradable bottles, and they're manufactured in a certified USDA organic inspected facility awesome so i'm just saying they're not just like regular they're just like random supplements they're actually seem pretty legit the quality standard the, the quality standards are yeah. up to snuff is what you're saying yeah but that's i'll great. just have to test and see if they actually Ooh, what's this they all have like cool names too like why is this one called respawn soothes your joints reduces inflammation and eliminates swelling i mean they could they could very easily be a sponsor of this podcast, well, and they, and they, which and they're not, but we may yet. we may use like an affiliate program. Yet, I don't know. yet. But I like the fact that he has different formulas for specific functional benefits in the body, which I think is yeah. cool. And I, I think it's awesome in general because you and I frequent so many of the trade shows and we're in this business. We've been in this business for over a decade and, and Whitney and I both love to geek out on new products. It's one of our favorite yes. things to do. What I love is seeing not only really high quality standards in terms of sourcing and formulation. But I really like specific functional foods and functional supplements that, you know, it gives people an opportunity to address key areas of their life where they might be struggling. Because all of us are struggling with different things, similar things, but, you know, getting to the heart of what your current challenge or struggle is in life and having mm -hmm. products and things to support that. I think it's yeah. cool. In addition to them being made by heartthrobs. <laughs> Well, they do have an affiliate affiliate link, so we're going to use that in our show notes. If show anybody's notes. interested, they're not notes. a sponsor, but we'll we'll use the affiliate link. Why not? We're big fans of this, and that's like this is actually like a a good topic because we're talking about something from a lifestyle health perspective, but we'll also be talking a lot about business. And I'm a big fan of if you're promoting something. I think if they have an affiliate program where you can make commissions, you know, you're promoting it authentically, which we will always do here on this podcast. 
but we also may want to get a little kickback so we can fund things like we were talking about right before we started recording. We're going to need more equipment. So you can support this podcast by checking out the show notes. And if we're using an affiliate link and you decide to buy something, know that that's a really easy free way for you to support us. Yes. And also it's, you know, whenever we recommend products, it's also this idea of experimenting with ourselves first. I'm a yes. huge, huge fan of doing that for the, not only the authenticity of I use this, but then I can have a direct experience that that we can share with you of how did it make us feel? What did we experience? What was our actual direct interaction with the product as mm -hmm. opposed to a theoretical thing? And I think it's important, you know, in all of the noise and all of the people in the wellness industry out there, you know, to really make sure that people are aligned with and promoting things that they truly believe in that have worked for them. Mm -hmm. So I always love treating, you know, new supplements and new foods as an experiment. I think it's one of the most exciting parts about being in this industry is like, let me try this out for a week or a month and see how I feel. So yeah, and supplements are something that are very polarizing. Like some people are like really anti supplements. <laughs> and but I think part of it, if whenever I read somebody's reasons for being anti-supplements, it's mainly because they just believe in getting all of those nutrients from food, which I think is fair. But as Jason could talk about for a very long time, there are some things that are better assimilated in the body when they're taking supplemental form. Is that correct? It is correct. And I think that it is a noble desire and noble aim to want to get all of our nutrition from food. But unless you are growing something in extremely nutrient-dense soil, you understand what's gone into the soil. You understand the growing methods. And, and a lot of local farmers will tell you how they're growing their food. And maybe for some listeners out there who actually have their own garden, that's a separate thing. But by and large, if you're going to the market, right, and buying even organic produce, the fact is through topsoil erosion and pesticide usage and the fact that there's a lot less nutrients in our soil, the soil is less healthy than it was not only in our parents' generation, but if we go back to grandparents and great-grandparents, by and large produce and food in general is less nutrient dense and less healthy than it was when our grandparents and our great grandparents were our age. So knowing that you have to eat a much higher volume of food, higher quantity to get the same nutrient density level. So for me, people are always like, why, why do you promote all these superfoods and supplements that are so expensive? I'm like, look, the reality is this. If by and large commercially grown food is less nutrient dense, which it is, then we need to replace that nutrition in some way. And that's why I love nutrient-dense foods and conscientiously made supplements, clean supplements, supplements where you can trust the sourcing that are third-party verified. Hell yeah, I want to promote that because we have to get proper nutrition in our bodies. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about vegan or vegetarian. No matter how you eat, it's about the fact that our food supply is less nutritious than it used to be. And that's yeah. why I think supplements and superfoods are so important to integrate. Right. And I think maybe people get like supplements get a bad rap in people's minds is because there's a lot of like bad supplements yeah, out there. There's junk. tons of junk based supplements. And so whenever I see things like, okay, this is organic certified. That's very important to me. If they're using biodegradable packaging, they probably care a lot. <laughs> like that was the thing that stood out about this. If they're very functional, if they're unique formulations, you know, you can look for things like that, which are usually a good sign, and then looking at other fillers and, and on and on. But I think it's also very confusing. I'm personally not that into multivitamins because generally if there's like too many nutrients and vitamins and minerals in one thing, then 
it might not be right for your body. But part of me feels like a lot of times it's just experimenting and really tuning into your body. Like that's the thing when I take these focus supplements that I've experimented with a few times, it's a very subtle difference in me and I have to track it over the long term. I found the same thing with probiotics, which I'm really passionate about. And I've tried a lot of probiotics and I just tune in. How do I feel? And give myself like at least a few days, a few weeks, and a month is usually the best way to tell. And I think a lot of people just are not that aware of how they feel. So they, it's hard for them to tell if a supplement's making a difference or not. Right. Well, it's almost like there is such a high level of toxicity mm-hmm. in people's bodies that they don't have the sensitivity to perceive how right. something is making them feel. So they it's don't. almost like people get a higher benefit from the foods they eat and the supplements they take if they cleanse their bodies. Yes. So, you know, after a proper juice cleanse or a coffee enema or a series of colonics. Or just eating a really basic whole foods diet for an extended period of time. That too, yeah. Just having more fiber in your diet, I feel like makes a massive difference. For sure. And it's very rewarding when you feel more sensitive and you can just start, or just tracking things too. I mean, that's something that I'm starting to get really into is tracking my health. I just got the new Apple Watch and I've like been sleeping with it on so that I can track my sleep. I've been tracking my sleep in a lot of different ways and like what time I go to bed and how do I feel the next day and using apps to track my mood in the morning and see how that correlates with how much sleep I get and how, what stages, how often I was in REM and et cetera. And then I like to weigh my, I have a, a smart scale now and so I can weigh myself and that also gives body mass index and a few other readings and all that. And that tracks through the data on my phone. And so just to compile all of this and look at it on a daily basis, what was I eating? How much was I sleeping? How much was I working out? What are my body measurements according to the scale? And then just assessing all of that mm-hmm. and becoming more sensitive too. If And taking the time to notice how you feel after anything you consume, whether it's a supplement or a drink or a meal. And Like earlier today, for example, I drank a matcha tea in the morning and then I had coffee and almost immediately after I had the coffee, I felt horrible. And I knew it was the coffee because I didn't feel horrible before when I had the matcha or it could have been the combination of the two, right? So then I had to start to figure out what what does my body need right now? And that's where all the experimenting comes in. Mm -hmm. It's like, so one of the things I do is I rest or I drink a ton of water or I had some food because I realized I hadn't eaten. So maybe the caffeine didn't make me feel good because I was on it was on an empty stomach. But my point is, is like tuning in and noticing, okay, this is probably why I don't feel good. What can I try to make myself feel better? And it's not always obvious. And it could be a cumulative effect. It's so many factors, really. It's complicated. But my point is, the more you are aware about yourself the easier it is for you to start to see the patterns and what may or may not be making you feel good. And I think that's very true with supplements because if everything kind of stays the same and you're eating a regularly good diet, whole foods diet, and you're sleeping well, and you're drinking enough water, if you cover all those bases, you're you're moving your body, I think then you can introduce supplements and see if you feel better. But as you were saying, for the average person who might not be getting enough sleep, who's probably dehydrated, who probably doesn't move their body enough, and then is eating a diet that's very processed without a lot of fiber, they're probably not going to feel great 
And they're probably their body may not even know the difference of taking supplements or not. Yeah, it's it's also interesting, you know, that as as we change our choices and our patterns and our habits, you know, we hear a lot about this in terms of like the neuroplasticity of the brain, but I think also in terms of the body, there are changes that people experience, right? Where it's not only about the sensitivity and this growing awareness of how things are making you feel. You know, I know like the palate changes too, big time. And um and how your body responds or reacts to things you used to eat. You know, I, I talk to like people in my family or or clients or even like a dialogue with myself. Like sometimes I'll go back and I'll I'll eat something that I haven't had in a long time. You know what I mean? Like uh I'm trying to think of an example uh, of what would be like junky for me. Like, I don't know. Like we were talking about donuts before the podcast. It's it's funny to me. Like sometimes I'll just have like- a, Donuts? Like, yeah. Like like a gluteny, like just like a fried gluteny donut. You know that what I mean? sounds so good. Yeah, it sounds good. And like- <laughs> Wait, ha- did you have a donut today? No, not today. But recently <laughs> I did. And I noticed that I had- From where? This fried sugary thing. I don't want to say. I don't want to say. I don't want to talk. talk. <laughs> I'm not going to throw, throw okay. shade. But it's- you're, Why is it throwing shade? A donut's a donut. A donut's What's the big a donut. Deal? Fine, it was from Donut Friend in oh, Highland Park. Oh, that's what I was guessing. Which is they great. have good donuts. They have good donuts, but it's still a fried, sugary gut bomb. Yeah, well, that's a donut. Like, and it's like you go back and you have this thing, and the initial hit is the sensory pleasure of the sugar and the carbs and this feeling of like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like a drug high. Yeah. And then once the drug high ends, you're like, God, I feel like crap right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to observe that as our bodies are changing, for instance, you know, Five, seven, ten years ago, I could have eaten that and not even paid attention to right. the fact that after I came down off the sugar and carb high, that I would feel like crap because it was almost like that was the standard of like, yeah, I'm just like eating all this junk food, even though it's vegan or plant based. But the sensitivity and the self awareness we cultivate to pay attention to what our body's telling us is something that develops over time, as you said, as we eat cleaner. Perhaps we have a mindfulness practice. We start taking better care of ourselves. But this runs so counter to what most of us have been raised in in our culture, which is what do you do if you don't feel good? You take a pill, right? right. That, that The idea of self-care can be looked at, and I get messages like this sometimes of like, ah, oh, how narcissistic. Like, what is this self-love, self-care thing? It's so selfish. And like, I want to reclaim the word selfish. I want to take it back because it, it's been always viewed as this negative thing of you're being selfish. I'm like, well, if you start with yourself and you start to heal yourself and as we know, start to take better care of ourselves, that ripple effect not only touches us on a biological and psycho-spiritual level, but it has a ripple effect on our friends, our family, our oh, livelihood. Yeah. We were just talking about, all of you it. and I were just talking about this the other day about feelings of anger and how that affects people around you and all that. And it's My like anger that cl- specifically. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> that cliche idea of uh, putting on the oxygen mask first. Mm. Because, you know, I remember thinking about that when I was younger. I'm like, what? They like, show a picture of an adult next to a kid and you're like, what an asshole. Like this, a- this adult's putting on the o- oxygen mask before the kid. <laughs> but then you realize if they put it on the kid and then they passed out or whatever, the kid would just have oxygen, but they'd be helpless otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so you have to really st- – and it's just like you're saying is is that if you take care of yourself, you can be a happier person, healthier person, and all these other ways that you can help others. And I think when we learn how to take care of ourselves beyond our health too, just like our mental state, I mean that ties into health as well, but physical health I meant. 
when we learn about our mental health, which is such a big thing right now, I mean, mental health, I feel like is getting so much attention, right? I feel like the media is actually drawing more and more attention to mental health, which is really helpful, really important because mental health plays a big role in everything in our lives. Mm -hmm. And if we can learn to examine and understand and heal, address our own mental health, whether you call it selfish or not, as your, to your point, it's not really selfish because if we don't take care of our mental health, it can have a disastrous ripple effect, whether we're causing harm to other people physically, emotionally, or we're disengaged. I mean, I think just most of our challenges right now come down to things like mental health. Yeah. And I, I also, it's a complicated issue. Yeah. And it's a complicated issue because- First of all, we have such a limited understanding of the brain and how it works. And in terms of more quantum type of science, you know, we, we don't know where thoughts come from. You know, the, this idea of emotional health and mental health being not only about the physiological aspects of the brain, but emotions and how we believe our thoughts and the more spiritual aspects of it and the chemicals in our body and the genetics and how we eat. I mean, there, there are so many fascinating layers to the topic of mental health, you know, and it's one thing that obviously, you know, we're best friends. Like I've been researching and diving into because of my own battle with feeling suicidal and clinically depressed, you know, four years ago, it's like, I want to know about this because having suffered with it and still struggling with it, you know, it's like, it's nowhere near the severity it used to be, but at least once a year, like the multi-headed Hydra will come back and go like, Oh, you, you thought you were enough of me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not about, quote, I think, curing depression, but cultivating tools and perspectives and practices that help us deal with those feelings and deal with our physiology and our thoughts and our emotions in a more healthy, balanced way. And supplements, to bring it full circle, were a big part of you healing that. Huge. Because, Huge. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is, is, I think that a lot of people tend to say, well, supplements don't work for me or I don't need supplements, so nobody needs them. And I think that's where it becomes really dangerous because talk about selfish, just because you don't need supplements doesn't mean somebody else doesn't. And for you, Jason, that was a huge thing for you to realize that you were chemically imbalanced. 100%. And you know what? It was also, there were layers to that though. It, it, the layer was the ego, my ego was so resistant to admit that that was even a possibility because the idea of admitting that I was chemically imbalanced, which I was, the neurotransmitters were not balanced and not working optimally. But to say that, I felt such a sense of shame around it. Like here I am, this chef, health practitioner, mm -hmm. wellness advocate. If I'm imbalanced, I'm a chemically imbalanced, clinically depressed person. Then it was this fear of that invalidating everything. Like could people take me seriously as a wellness ad? Like when mm -hmm. the healer admits that they are not well, what does that mean? And so my ego was so resistant for so long to getting those tests right. and seeing the truth. But the only way for us to create a plan of healing and recovery is to see the stark bare truth. Yeah. But that's that's, that's like the cliche of a, of a therapist needs help just as much as their patients do. Doctor, right? heal thyself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, part of, yeah. part of the reason a lot of our therapists, you know, this is generalizing, but I feel like a lot of people are drawn to psychology is because they want to work on themselves and mm -hmm. and and so they want to help other people i find this all the time mm -hmm. a lot of the things that i end up creating whether it's videos or 
ebooks or, or programs, whatever it is that I'm doing. And I think this is true with both of us when we work together, Jason and I, is that we're drawn to helping people work through the things that we've either already worked through or we're currently working through. We want to share it, our pain points. We we can feel very sensitive to other people experiencing the same type of pain. Mm -hmm. And so as you've witnessed, when you acknowledged your depression and how you healed it, you found a lot of people being very grateful for you sharing that. Yeah. So your ego would have actually, again, coming back to this selfish versus selflessness, is that had you not overcome your ego in that case to figure out what the root was and acknowledge some things that were hard for you to acknowledge, you would not have been able to help as many people. Yeah. Just like it's just coming back to that putting on the oxygen mask first. You had to admit, despite what your ego wanted you to do, that you were struggling with something nutritionally. And once you did, you were able to help a lot more people. And including right now, I mean, maybe maybe this conversation is opening people's minds to to being mindful of of whether or not they need supplements. I mean, you really only know if you test yourself. I mean, that's the other thing is like, you know, we we don't, this is the part of the reason I'm not a big fan of multivitamins in general, not all my multivitamins, which is the, the average one is that a lot of them are just like a mishmash of stuff of different formulations that might not necessarily work for your specific needs. So it's so important to get things like blood tests to find out what are you deficient in and what do you need more of? And can you get that from food or or would it be helpful for you to get it from supplements? Right. And, and I think supplements are not like a necessarily the only way to get those nutrients. But at, to your point, they're a faster, easier, more consistent thing because you're, you are, you're getting a measured dosage of that nutrient versus food, which as your to your point, it depends where it grows and it depends where, you know, how long it's been s- sitting and, and so many factors when it comes to our food, especially produce, the nutrient level in produce is so dependent on the soil. Mm-hmm. It's dependent on what was sprayed on it mm-hmm. or w- what fertilizer or, or how long it's been transported, how long it's been in the store, how long it's been in your home, all these factors. Well, it's also, it's dependent, as you said so brilliantly, on the individual. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of, of why. Can I pause you first? There was one thing I really wanted to do was for you to try that tea. I know, but I was in a flow and I I'm going to forget I the flow. I know, but I feel like our tea is speaking of, of All right, quality. I'm going to go back in. I have a lot of things so, to say. So right before we started this podcast, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> My lips are dangerously close to the straw right now. <laughs> so I have a big passion for beverages more than food like beverages like a big thing for me so that's this is like my fourth beverage different beverage of the day i had a matcha tea don't smell it yet (laughs) she's the queen bee queen barista (laughs) (laughs) that would be a great name for a cafe i'll give it to you so i had the matcha tea with mct oil then i had the coffee with mct oil then I had a sparkling water with the longevity soda. And the fourth thing of the day is this tea. So I'm not going to say what it is yet till Jason tries it. One of my greatest pleasures is when somebody tries something that I've made. So I brewed this up over ice and Jason and I both have a glass of this. And Jason's about to try it for the first time. I think you should get really close to the mic so there's some ASMR sounds. Like, wait, I'm going to stir mine around glass straws 
He's blowing bubbles. Mmm. Mmm. That's really good. Mmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what my immediate thing is? What do you think it is? It tastes is? like very, very close to Thai iced tea. Mmm. Mm-hmm. It has a floral, light, but also creamy thing going on that reminds yeah. me it's almost Thai iced tea. It's so close to Thai iced tea. What else do you detect in it? It's mm. <laughs> once I tell you, you'll you'll. It's not Thai iced. Is, is it no? But is it like jasmine or honeysuckle? Like it's a it's a it's floral. floral, right? Right. It's not honeysuckle. No. Jasmine. No. Might be. I don't know. I don't have the container in front of me. It's not rose. It is rose. It is rose. You've mm. hidden it though. It's like because it's not. But it's, it's not- mixed with something that rhymes with Thai. It's not a Thai iced tea. It's a fly iced tea. No chai. <laughs> so this is like mm. a rose petal chai iced mm. tea. Holy crap! I'll get the. I'll put the name in the show notes for right, you who are curious because it's fantastic. It was a loose leaf tea that I got in the Goddess Provisions box, which is my favorite subscription box. I'm also an affiliate of theirs. Full disclosure. <laughs> so uh, we'll put the link in, in the description. But I. Mix, I brewed that up and then I blended the tea with the Cave Shake Fat Pack, which uh, is powdered coconut milk. It's fantastic. Okay. That's where the creaminess mm-hmm. comes from. So it got creamy from that. Mm. And then I added in the You Are Loved Monk Fruit Powder, which is my favorite sweetener mm. right now. So I will put links to all of those in the show notes mm. so that you could recreate this beverage if you choose to. It's giving me life. Isn't it really good? I knew I had to stop you because if I didn't, it would have gotten too diluted and you would have missed out on the amazing flavor experience. It's nice. And I like that you built the layers of flavor in this, um, <laughs> which is cool because like usually rose, I think as well, a flavor- Well, I didn't add the rose. No, but I'm saying like the the mixture, sometimes rose is like, when my experience of rose in a product is like, hey, there's rose here. Like it's an unmistakable thing. The cool thing about this is it's complex enough where your brain is trying to dissect all of the flavors without there necessarily being one thing that dominates is what I'm saying. I like that. That's cool. And you also don't want to like, this isn't something you want to chug. It's something you want to savor. And I think it's important going back to a lot of the mental health issues in our culture to wind it back. People are so busy And I use that word with air quotes on it because I know how we both feel about that. But I don't feel like people are sitting down to savor things as much anymore where they're flying through meals. You know, they've got their phone out. They're kind of like scrolling through and looking at their feed or their email while they're eating. And to sit down and have something to savor it in terms of a meal or a beverage or anything, sex, massage, whatever you want to do, but just like take more time to savor things in life. I feel like everyone's rushing around trying to get somewhere, be something, do, you know, hustle, grind, blah, blah, blah. and it's nice to just even like in real time right now on this podcast to have a moment of genuinely savoring something that was made with love and intention. Like, let's all do more of that, please. And I think this also comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, which is I feel so we we're talking about sensitivity, right? We were talking about physical sensitivity. Mm-hmm. 
So based on your diet and your lifestyle, all those important physical health factors. Then we were talking about mental. And I think it's interesting because I feel like there's emotional and mental, like they're, they're kind of the same thing, but also a little bit different, if that makes sense in my, my head, the emotional side of it. Like I think when I think of the brain, I think of like how the things I'm doing in my life are making me feel and how my brain is responding to it. Right. And then, then when I'm talking about how I feel physically versus how I'm feeling emotionally Mm -hmm. and how there's almost like the, to me meant the, when I think of mental, it's like the bridge between the two. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I don't know if the, I mean, my definition may not be the textbook (laughs) definition of mental versus emotional, but what I was going to say was that in terms of emotional sensitivity, which I think is a very important topic, is that you start to appreciate moments like you just pointed out. You know, you appreciate things like how taking that little break to enjoy the tea mm-hmm. feels for you and how important that is. And emotional sensitivity also helps me make decisions on things like supplements, right? Because I had an emotional reaction to high-level nutrition, the Ashley Parker Angels company. I mean, of course, there was like the the nostalgia that it had for me, which, you know, that's one factor. But then also like there's something about the website and the branding and there's something, you know, important to me about what packaging they use and all of those things they factored into my desire to try these products. Mm-hmm. The same thing goes with this tea that we're having. And you were pointing out how it's made with love. Not only did I actually compile it together, brew it, blend it, et cetera, but the brands that I use to make this tea, I also feel an emotional reaction to them. The packaging of this tea that I use, the chai rose tea, I saw it and I thought, this is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the ingredients. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a nice combination. And then I tasted it and it was just, my taste buds are very happy. And the same thing with Cave Shake. Jason and I have been a fan of Cave Shake for a long time. And they have this new fat pack powder, which is coconut milk, powdered coconut milk. And so I have an emotional reaction to them. I, I like and trust that company. So I wanted to put them in this drink. And same thing with You Are Loved monk fruit. I love the way it tastes and I loved my experience with the owner and I love the name of it. And so it's like when you combine all of that together, it creates like another emotional level and experience to your food. And that's something that's very, very important to me. I know it's important to Jason as well. You know, like we, when we choose what restaurants to go to and what products to buy and what people to spend time with and who to support, it's very, very important to each of us to align ourselves, associate ourselves, support whatever makes us feel energetically good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's all down to vibration and frequency, yes. right? And yeah. that we know that different emotions vibrate at different frequencies, as do colors, as do the energy in which people use to create things. You know, I think about growing up in my family, right, with food. We go back to food for a second about emotions and emotional health. It's not that, say, my, my grandmother, Rose, we're talking about Rose, Rose, you know, who was my original, along with my mom, culinary inspiration. 
you know, she would infuse so much love and intention with the desire to nourish with her food. She wasn't using the healthiest ingredients, okay? Like that's that's a very important point here. If we're talking about the qualitative benefit of the foods, she wasn't buying organic. She wasn't like looking at the quality or the sourcing, but when she took those foods and she put her hands in the dough and made fresh noodles or fresh soup or pierogies or cakes or anything, you know, for my birthday, my grandma Rose would always make me a banana bread cake with vanilla frosting. Like that was every year. And it, to this day, so to this day, it's the best banana bread ever. Is that what your mom makes? Uh, mom, I think makes a version of that. She could she probably has the make that for the holidays. Bread too. The pumpkin bread is, <sighs> dude. You know what? Is that request, your mom's recipe? That is mom's recipe. Oh my, my mom, by the way, my mom Susan Robel is is she is also part of my culinary history and culinary inspiration. Her specialty is baking. She makes oh these baked goods that are innovative and creative and gluten free and vegan. And she just that is her brain and her creativity work in that process, as opposed to me, where I don't really enjoy baking. It's not really my thing, but take it back to how she was raised. And my grandma's MO was you put the love into it and you could feel it again, even though the quality of the ingredients or she wasn't paying attention to the sourcing, that wasn't even a thing she was thinking about, you know, in the eighties when I was a little boy. But when you take something that is grown and formulated with intention and purpose, and you have a, a level of presence and you put love and you create a food or a drink as you did, you create anything. And I don't care if it's music, art, film, this podcast, any creative endeavor. If you infuse it with the intention to support and nourish and love whoever is receiving it, that's a very high vibration. That's a very high energetic imprint. And the people who are open to receiving that are going to feel it. Mm-hmm. If they're sensitive, I think people feel it no matter what, but some people feel it stronger than others. Yes. You know, and it's so interesting. <laughs> like people like to th make fun of people that are really into crystals or goddess type stuff and Mantras, high vibration. Yeah. Meditation. Yeah. And that's fine. Everybody's open to, you know, can have their prerogative in terms of their opinions on these things. I personally really resonate with anything that's energetically aligned. I love aromatherapy and I love crystals. I love colors, like you said. I'm, I'm very drawn to vibrancy, mm -hmm. right? And it makes it just makes me feel good. I feel good around it. Speaking of this, to transition into just like the term feeling good, I had a really interesting conversation with a mutual friend of Jason and mine last night. and. I won't name names in case this is a personal thing for her, but she was talking about how right now she's working really hard to change her relationship with sugar. Mm. And she mm. kept using this term, flip the switch. She's using actually some therapy that is helping her flip the switch from like going to sugar and sweet things for emotional pleasure. Mm. And it was such a mm. fascinating conversation because I just really started to reflect back on my own relationship with any type of stimulant, right? Mm -hmm. And these type of either quote unquote or actual addictions, like some of us think we're addicted to things, but we're, we're really not. It's not a true addiction. But some people do really get addicted yeah. you know, to any type of substance, sugar, coffee, chocolate, 
drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Social media. Right. There's like the things we consume physically and then there's all the things that we consume emotionally, right? And so anyways, I think that's an ongoing thing. I think it's just a human thing is that we are looking for pleasure. I think as humans, we're just wired to seek out pleasure wherever we can find it and Mm -hmm. become addicted to getting pleasure. Mm -hmm. Again, whether literally or theoretically addicted to it. And so I was just really fascinated by that because I have a big desire to optimize. Jason and I have this in common. I think this will be a common theme of the podcast is really our journeys to and experiments with optimizing ourselves and how, you know, supplements, which has been a theme of this and, and just like how you're making food and the things that you're choosing. That's really about optimizing. You're optimizing based on what really makes you feel good and becoming more sensitive to mm-hmm. it. And I think it's really interesting if you step back and think about your relationship with anything that you frequently go to to give get yourself pleasure. And I think pleasure is, you know, that's one of the best parts of being alive is experiencing mental or physical pleasure. And it's just all about how often, and that was my friend's point, is that she said there's nothing wrong with sweets or sweet sweeteners, whatever it was, but it was the fact that she was dependent on it to make herself feel good, mm-hmm. or that was her go-to. So she was having a bad day if she was stressed, if she was feeling upset about something, whether it was with her relationship or whatever it was, she would find herself going to the same type of foods over and over again to feel better. And that's very common. A lot of people do that. And I had to step back and think about my relationship with foods. And I've been experimenting with this a lot as I've tried out the plant-based version of the keto diet, low carb, and how that shifted my relationship with sugar because I'm having so much less. I mean, I'm actually not really consuming much sugar at all, but Mm -hmm. sometimes in the form of carbohydrates, depending on how you define sugar in your mind and how really reducing the amount of carbohydrates I'm having has drastically changed my relationship with food because I've been stricter about it. I don't just go to something simply because I'm craving it. My cravings have been reduced for the most part. Mm -hmm. But there are still things that I think about. And so it's almost like a difference between, again, coming back to mental versus physical, like a mental craving for something versus a physical craving for it. Sometimes your your whole body is like you'll salivate thinking about something and you feel yourself getting really physically stimulated by the thought of having a certain food, right? Mm Mm-hmm versus what I find harder and more persistent for myself is a mental desire to have something. And so this whole conversation with with my friend last night came up because we were we had dinner together. And afterwards I, I said to her, hey, do you want to go get dessert? And we want to go somewhere else because I'm I'm not not having sugar. So it's like my options are very limited. And she said, you know, I'm going to say no right now because of this therapy I'm going through to help me flip the switch was her phrase Mm -hmm. so that she would stop seeking out sweets just for a knee jerk reaction pleasure. And I, I stepped back and thought about, Hmm, why did I suggest that we go get dessert? It was because I was looking for more pleasure. I was enjoying her company and I thought, 
you know what would make me feel even better is if we went and got dessert afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very, it wasn't that I was like, I didn't really feel that physically attached to whether or not I had dessert, but emotionally I was looking for more pleasure Mm -hmm. because it felt it. I was thinking about how nice it would feel to go with my friend to get dessert Mm -hmm. and to have dessert together. It's like a little bonding thing. And then like, Ooh, I get to go have whatever from this place that I don't normally go to. Right. And so it's just so fascinating to me how it's actually quite complex. And again, coming back to sensitivity and, and, and awareness you really have to work on your consciousness and your awareness about yourself to notice your habits, your patterns. Yeah, you do. And, and take inventory of things. Yeah. So you can, because patterns exist for all of us, but if we're not aware of the pattern and on a deeper level, what is initiating the behavior that leads to a pattern, uh, you, you talk about sugar. That's been one of my biggest things. And I started noticing when I would take inventory of my emotional state or what was the impetus before I started reaching for the sugar? I noticed that for me, my sugar. And are you talking sugar like processed sugar? What? Because that to me, sugar, I think, I'm talking is about, hard to define. I'm so, ta- what's your definition? I'm talking about cookies, chocolate, sweets. But are they ice made cream? with monk fruit or stevia, or are they made no, with like no. other types of sugars? Like agave, coconut sugar, Got cane it. sugar, those kind of things. Yes. I started noticing for me, and this is the practice of presence we're talking about, sensitivity, but I also want to insert what we talked about earlier was this idea of presence, Mm -hmm. of being really present and focused on what is happening in the moment. I started to realize that it it was not about the sugar at all. The sugar was a, as you said, an emotional crutch for when I was feeling lonely, when I was feeling heartbroken, when I was feeling despondent. When I was feeling like I was not getting a level of physical attention or romantic mm-hmm. attention that I wanted. So it was a chemical substitute for yeah. the good feelings, or if we want to go a level deeper, the oxytocin that I wasn't getting in my life. You know, and we always joke about like, oh, when you go through a breakup, what's the first thing that most people reach for in a breakup? Chocolate. Ice cream. Cho- well, cho- <laughs> well cho- chocolate, right? Chocolate yeah, and ice yeah. cream. But specifically, chocolate has phenylethylamine it has theobromine which mimic in the brain and light up the same reward centers as when we're in love so it's like the brain has been chemically addicted to being quote in love right we know that there's a different set of chemicals that are flowing through the body and the brain when we are in love with someone when we perceive that love has ended or that love has left then the brain wants its fix the brain wants its fix So to us, it's this emotional crutch, but it's also going back to the chemical part of it. It's a very chemical thing of reaching for these sugary things, reaching for the chocolate specifically, because those compounds in the chocolate are lighting up the same centers of our brain as as if we're in love. It's mimicking those things. But understanding that, understanding that for me, when I was feeling loveless, heartbroken, lonely, right? I would reach for those things because I just wanted to feel something. Mm -hmm. It's like... Anything is better than feeling this loneliness. Anything is better than feeling this despondent. Anything is better than feeling this heartbroken. But what you realize consistently is it doesn't take away those feelings. It might mask them for a little while because you're high. You're chemically high for a little while on the sugar or the compounds in the food. But we're not getting to the root cause, which is why do I feel so lonely? What thought forms or patterns have I attached to this person or this situation thinking that I don't deserve love? Thinking that... This illusion of loneliness 
that I could call up a friend who deeply loves me and just be radically honest and say, could you come over here right now and give me a hug? Can you like embrace me? Can I just spend time with you? You know, it's never about the food. It's never about the chemicals in most cases. It's about us thinking that those things are going to address a deeper need within us mm-hmm. instead of pausing, right? When we're, when we're reaching for that ice cream or reaching for the chocolate bar, what I started doing to help me with the sugar addiction, right, was to say, hold on a second. What do I really need right now? Like a pattern interrupt, like yes. to stop myself, physically stop myself and say, what do I really need right now? Mm-hmm. Wasn't the sugar. It was, damn, I feel lonely. Well, why don't I have the courage to reach out to someone I love and say, I'm feeling, in a, I'm in a bad place right now. I feel lonely. Can we talk? Could you come over? Mm-hmm. Like that's addressing a deeper emotional, psycho-spiritual need than constantly getting into that cycle as we're saying of masking it with sugar. Yes. So for me, I'm sharing that story because- it was about a deeper emotional or spiritual need than just filling my body with those food products. And I think that's true of any pleasure. Like, I mean, if you're addicted to sex, for example, mm-hmm. you're, it's like a pleasure thing. It's yeah. like you want that pleasure so badly. Or I think I, I've actually started thinking about this with like watching things. Like I have a massive pleasure reaction to watching TV or YouTube movies. Like that gives me deep pleasure. And so it's escape, and I think a lot of people experience this, is like that escape. Mm-hmm. And then, actually, this is really interesting. When I started intermittent fasting, I really realized the addiction I had to pleasure in that sense of, so I often will watch something at night, right, to like wind down. So that in itself is some sort of a pattern for pleasure. And so I've been doing that since I grew up, right? My family does that. And another thing is in this conversation with my friend last night, we were talking about a lot of the times, the types of pleasure we seek out are from like things that made us feel good when we were growing up or patterns from our family. Mm. And so as an adult, I see how much my parents, my parents always watch a movie or a TV show together at night. That's like their bonding thing. And it's very sweet. And I think back to growing up, it was like, we never watched an excessive amount of TV. Maybe it was like an hour or two a night, but we would do it as a family. So it felt bonding. It was quality time. Mm-hmm. And so as an adult, even when I'm alone, I just find such pleasure in watching things. And it's escapism. It's it's turning off your brain. It's all these things a lot of us just seek. Anyway, so when I started intermittent fasting a few months ago, one of my version of intermittent fasting is the 16, eight. So you fast for 16 hours and you eat within an eight hour window of the day. And for me, I find it's like four hours before I go to sleep and four hours after I wake up, give or take. And so when I stopped eating four hours before bed, typically those four hours I would spend watching something during that period, maybe Mm. not the whole four hours, but maybe an hour or two of that time. That's when I would lay in bed and watch YouTube or Netflix or whatever it was. And it was so tough for me at first to not eat while watching something. And I started to recognize how much of a pattern I developed of pleasure eating and watching something because Mm -hmm. both were so pleasurable. I loved to snack. And so I felt like so physically and probably emotionally uncomfortable at first for the probably first week or two of like, oh no, I'm not gonna eat something while I'm watching this. 
And it was just so interesting. And then, of course, after time, I got used to it and it wasn't that big of a deal. But at first, it was really tough. And I, that was like a big eye opener for me because I didn't realize, you know, that was why I was snacking late at night because I was associating snacking with watching something and that dual pleasure. And then how that was like probably contributing to weight gain. That was probably, you know, maybe disrupting my sleep. Who knows what that was doing for me? But the pleasure was so strong that I was willing to overlook all the ways that might have been disrupting my life or my health because it was so pleasurable. And I think that's a big thing for people right now. It's like our just, as you were saying, I'm sure this is going to come up a lot. And I feel like we could hold, do a whole episode about social media, right? And all of our, again, like just use addictions as a very loose term, but that like general f- type of a, like, it's almost like an addiction, whether or not it's real or not, of being so drawn to social media and just looking for pleasure, pleasure, pleasure on, on social media. Or how, for me at least, social media is kind of unknown territory in terms of I'm either going to go on social media and find a lot of pleasure or I'm going to go on social media and feel really down about myself. Yeah. Get into the comparison trap. Well, it's like polarizing. It's an extremely polarizing thing. And, you know, just to kind of flip back to this idea, though, of of pleasure seeking, you know, a book that actually you recommended years ago that I love is uh, The Pleasure Trap by Dr. Douglas Lyle. And it breaks down our historical genetic biological imperative for this behavior, which was as hunter gatherers, you know, we were kind of wired and developed this program, if you will, neurological program of seeking out the highest caloric yield for the least amount of work, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if, if, I, if I can go out and I can have my physical biological needs met and exert the least amount of energy, then I can hopefully save those energy reserves for running away from a saber-toothed tiger or hunting the next day or whatever. So it, it's, it is a biological, I believe, genetic code in our matrix as humans to get the highest yield of something for the least amount of effort. And I think that's part of the reason why people take supplements. Well, I think it's also it's why- it's much t- easier to get all the, your nutrients in a pill versus eating a full meal. Uh, but I also think it's why people have junk food. I think it's also why people take pharmaceutical drugs. I think it's why people are addicted to social media and porn and everything because it's like instant gratification, instant pleasure hit. I'm getting my fix. Whether it's caloric, whether it's energetic, whether it's a psychological hit, it's like- you know, and I mean, to go off on a tangent, but I think it's relatable is, you know, the state of dating right now. And I, I've talked to so many people, it's so interesting, more and more that are so disillusioned with online dating because they feel, A, like it's it's like shopping for a human being. It's like Amazon yeah, for humans. It's so weird. But also, Amazon for but humans. also, like, what has that done? It's taken away so much of the effort of going out and meeting people in public the way we used to, of mm-hmm. courting someone, of getting to, I'm sounding old fashioned, I don't care, <laughs> but the process of how we engage romantically with each other now is so vastly different in terms of our level of effort when we can throw up our smartphone and just burn through our right finger swiping. And it's not about even going out and like, quote, hunting for someone anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's another example of this pleasure trap of this biological imperative of, I'm just going to like stay up at night swiping, swiping, swiping because it's less energy 
to try and get what I want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, yes, technology is wonderful in terms of alleviating a lot of the banality of life, a lot of the things that we don't need to be focusing on anymore. But I think in terms of human interaction and human relationship, it's making some things kind of funky. Mm-hmm. Our relationship to ourselves, but how we're relating to other people. It's technology is a very slippery slope right now. Yep. And I know you're into it. We're both fascinated by it in terms of where is this taking us in terms of our collective evolution? I Not also only think- biologically, but psychologically as well as humans. Yes. And I do think that it really comes down, again, full circle, is that when we are talking about how important it is to get your mental health under control. Yeah. Is that, and to be more aware. So that's kind of the theme of this is like being sensitive and conscious of how you're feeling, aware of yourself. Self-awareness is so important as we get deeper and deeper into technology. Because for me, I think based whether it's genetics, biology, uh, family life, all these factors, like I grew up pretty emotionally stable. And I could tell that based on relationship to other people, like I was, I'm not somebody that would usually use the term addicted very much, even though I've said it several times in this episode, I've never felt like addicted to coffee or addicted to sugar or addicted to, you know, never that into alcohol or drugs or, you know, not prone to being like addicted to sex or other major forms of pleasure. All of these things a lot of people struggle with. It's something I don't really, my, my struggles with any of that have been pretty minimal. And I think that's because I grew up in a very emotionally safe, stable household and city, you know, town where I grew up, all those factors, right, that contribute to this. But my, my point being is that because of that emotional stability and awareness that I cultivated younger, I feel like as an individual, my relationship with technology is very stable. I can use technology and put it down. I don't feel like I have to be on social media every day. I have to be on Instagram. I have to do this or that. However, I do also notice when I am. So if I find myself mindlessly scrolling through Instagram or watching a ton of YouTube videos, or as I mentioned, watching a lot of television, whatever it is, whatever my relationship with technology, because of my self-awareness, I'm able to be mindful about my relationship with that. I think that without knowing, I mean, I can only speak to my personal experience, but what I've noticed in some other people is that if they don't have that awareness or if they grew up being prone to addictions, or if they grew up with not a lot of emotional stability or tools or whatever it is, they're a little bit more prone to misusing things or becoming addicted, seeking out pleasure in places like technology because they don't, that's their outlet. And I think that's, again, why it's so important for people to be, to work on their mental health and be, just become more self-aware. Mm-hmm. And as we said earlier several times, is like putting on that oxygen mask first Mm -hmm. because it does have a ripple effect, you know, whether it's dating. Like, think about it. Somebody who is using a dating app simply for pleasure, simply to run away from something, they could have a whole domino effect. I mean, let's say it's a woman who's just like, I have to get the approval of men. Mm-hmm. or I need mm-hmm. the pleasure of sex or I, whatever, what, however she, and so she's just like on these dating apps, finding men and, you know, going out with them. And then those men, what if they fall for her 
and then she rejects them. And then there's this domino effect of all these men that she has had some sort of relationship, some dynamic with. And maybe those men have a completely different relationship to technology, you know, dating apps as she does. And so that's where I'm saying it, it, it actually isn't really selfish to work on your mental health and your personal awareness. Because to your very point about sugar, you recognizing that you are seeking out sugar as a, what would you say? Like a- Emotional Band-Aid. Emotional Band-Aid, right? That is only really affecting you and your health, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But let's say that your version of an emotional band-aid was to go and just toy around with a lot of women and whatever that means for you, right? You could be breaking a lot of hearts. And now it's because of you, because of what your needs were, now you're affecting other people. Sure. And sure. I, I feel like what's happening right now is that it's become socially acceptable to do that. You know what I mean? And we have to kind of step back and like examine like our relationship. You know, I think we should do this in another episode. But one thing I really want to touch upon is like, let me just say, I think we're going to record a second one today because I really want to talk about this, but it's best served for a whole separate episode. So we'll put it in the show notes, which episode we talk about this on. But as a little teaser, I think talking about our how we use social media and Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. is really huge and and a very important topic because it is in some ways getting a bit out of hand, but it's also kind of inevitable because there's so many pros and cons to social media right now. It gives us connection to people all around the world, but it also can really do a lot of harm. And so I think, again, I'm just passionate about self-awareness because if we had more more self-awareness, if more people were self-aware, if more people could see the connection between what they were doing and why they were doing it, mm-hmm. I think that would that would help alleviate a lot of <laughs> personal pain or pain amongst individual and their relationships with each other. Yeah, I want to comment on that like from my own personal experience really quick in terms of online dating specifically as a microcosm oh, yeah. of this conversation. Yeah. And also how my experience with that related to honoring my feelings and my perspectives as an individual rather than buying into the, you ought to feel this way because other people are feeling this way. Here's what I mean. So, you know, we're Gen X. You're actually cusp. You're like Gen X millennial. I'm a little bit older than you, but Gen X- I'm definitely a millennial. Okay. Technically. Oh, technically she's a millennial. Okay. (laughs) The the thing is what I'm observing in- I guess the age ranges don't matter, but online dating seems to be ubiquitous in the millennial and Gen X cultures. Like most of the people I know are doing some form of it. Okay. Once I started doing it, and I've had probably three or four rounds of dipping back in. Dipping back in. I remember I remember that I started to get this feeling of feeling that I was being so extremely judgmental of the women that I was swiping through and then so extremely judgmental of myself and and negatively self-conscious about the photos and the description and the bio and constantly editing it and wondering, oh, should I put a picture of me and my dog and me and my cat? Because like women would want to see a picture of like a warm, sensitive guy with animals, right? Like being so manipulative and being so trying to do something specifically to get a desired effect, right? And so I feel like people are are 
doing this to capture attention, to get the kind of person they think they want. But what are we doing? We're seeing words on a page and we're seeing photos on a page. What we're not getting is the energy and the interplay of the energy of being physically present with a person. For me, what I started to realize was I started to feel icky about it. I felt like, I, again, I was shopping for a woman the same way I would shop for a Wi-Fi router on Amazon or the same way I would shop for, <laughs> for a new car. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, that, that's a little too big. That's a little too small. Oh, that, there's a black one. There's a red one. There's an orange. You know, it, it just became, for me, a feeling that we have commodified human beings. It started to me oh, to yeah. feel like I was commodifying these women, like treating mm-hmm. them like products. Oh, totally. And that started to feel gross to me. Like I started to feel emotionally negative with the experience of online dating. And so I removed myself from it because I didn't want to feel like I was commodifying human beings. And I started to feel like I was. Like my psychological interplay with that action was starting to view these women not as human beings, but like, like I said, shopping for a car or a new watch. And I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing was like, oh, no, man, if you want to meet someone great, online date. Like even my psychotherapist yeah. that I love him was like, I really think you should go on an online date. And that's actually when I went back, did it because I love him. He's a great psychotherapist. But it doesn't feel like it resonates with me and my heart. But it's tricky because then you you have like this FOMO thing. Whereas, oh, if I don't online date, maybe I'm going to miss the woman in my dreams who's online. But here's the thing. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. If I trust... Right? This goes back to if I trust myself and what my heart is telling me to do, which is not to do it because mm-hmm. of the reasons I just detailed, then wouldn't the person I want to be with have a very similar perspective? Yes. Yes. So, big then, time. so then I trust that FOMO you're talking because I know what the, I've had that feeling. Yeah. Ah, what if, no, I really truly think that for me, whatever the partner I would ultimately manifest would have a similar type of relationship of like, yeah, I felt like it was icky too for whatever her reasons mm-hmm. were. So it comes back to honoring ourselves as an individual, our individual experience, instead of, you know, there's a term called the tyranny of the majority, where Mm. we see what everyone else is doing and feel that in order to fit into the collective, we need to adhere to a certain set of beliefs or behaviors so that we aren't ostracized from the group. Right. But the individual journey being radically, radically loving and honoring to the messages our minds and our hearts are giving us when they feel resonant. And following that into the wilderness, you know, Joseph Campbell, you know, he's one of my favorite authors, the, the mm-hmm. famous mythologian, mythologist said, the point of adventure is the darkest part of the forest. It's the part where there's no path. If you're on a path, it's a path that someone's already laid out. You're already walking someone else's path. And right. so I'm using this example as, you know, just kind of this, this idea that we need to trust ourselves and the messages we're getting, even if they run completely counter to what everyone else is doing and the way everyone else says we ought to be. Absolutely. And that's really tricky. I think social media has made that trickier too, yeah. because we we as humans tend to want to do what other people are doing. Sure. <laughs> so when you go on social media and you're looking at hundreds or thousands of people doing things, it can be really tough. And Jason and I are big believers in meditation. Jason has a very strong meditation practice. Mine is admittedly not as consistent but I I understand that meditation is one of the most important things for us to do, especially in this day and age of social media and the comparison trap and all of that, is that we have to come down to center ourselves. And, and again, I think the big theme of this podcast is, has just been self-awareness. Yes. Because 
when you become self-aware, then you can tap into your intuition and learn how to trust it and learn when things feel good or when they don't. And do they feel good for the right reasons, like the gut feeling versus do they just feel good because they are pleasurable or whatever. The more that we can tune in, the easier it is for us to figure out what our path is, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that Jason and I are very passionate about. And one of the big reasons that I feel like we started collaborating on this project was to help people on their path Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to feel lost. And, you know, social media in a way kind of bonds us and brings us together, but it can also really draw us apart because then people feel like if I'm not like the majority, maybe there's something wrong with me. Of course. I think that's what a lot of people feel. Yeah. Is that comparison, comparison. Oh my gosh, I don't look like this person. I don't act like this person. I don't have the same things as this person does on and on. And then it's just like, do I need to change in order to be that? Or in your case, I don't want to be on social media. Social media doesn't make me feel good, but everybody's telling me to be, I'm sorry, I don't want an online date. It doesn't make me feel good, but everyone's saying I should. So then you start to question yourself, Mm -hmm. but then you Mm -hmm. do it and you think this actually doesn't feel good. I was right. This is not for me. And I know firsthand that, you know, I don't think I've had a single long-term relationship off of online dating. I've had small, short-term relationships off of online dating. I know people that I've met through online dating, right? You know, some couples, but I also know a ton of people who have met offline. So yes, it's growing to become more and more common to your point of it's kind of like a concentrated source. It's just like, again, like the supplements and the food, whatever it is, it's concentrated. Is that you, oh, I can just swipe and browse and it's easier to do this. I don't have to get up and go to the bar. I don't have to go to the party. I don't have to do the socializing. I can just go on this app and find somebody and chat with them and decide if I like the way that they look. It's like less, it's like concentrated and less risky. But the problem is, do you want to meet somebody that I feel like you have a on, on online dating, it's a greater chance of meeting somebody who's taking like a shortcut in a way. You know what this brought up for me? What was and that's not I don't mean for that to be judgmental because we're not we're not saying there's anything wrong with online dating, but in a, it is kind of a shortcut, let's be honest, right? It is. And I think it goes back to that point that I made that we are biologically wired as humans to get the highest reward for the least amount of effort. Yes. Okay. It's an example of this. Yes, exactly. It's not judging. It's just talking about how our basic, most reptilian biology is still there in our brain chemistry. Yeah, and I think that's you true know? with it's most there. technology. If you look at the development of technology, technology is usually giving us tools to save us time. And as human beings, we want to save time. Of course, right? it's efficiency. Yeah, it's all about efficiency, which is a big theme in the in that book, The Pleasure Trap, which we'll link in the show notes for you. I highly recommend it. Is it's like humans are like, how can I save time? How can I save resources? I think that's yes. that's the thing. It comes down to like a very basic human drive, and so I'm drawn to that too. I love you know technological shortcuts. I love technological advances. I find great pleasure in that. And it's like, how can I maximize my day to put the least amount of effort and energy into things and get the most amount of reward? And I think that's like why people are so drawn to social media and online dating Mm -hmm. is because there's just so you can lie in bed and find your next partner long term or short term or one night, whatever it is, as opposed to getting up and putting on makeup or putting on the right outfit 
or and then going out and standing around in a room and then seeing do you find anyone attractive there and and are you going to end up talking to that i mean it's hard it's really hard to meet somebody in person comparatively to online dating i think what we're talking about too and you you touched on it very briefly is risk aversion yes okay and shortcuts shortcuts and risk aversion the thing that i wonder though is if we are trading our sense of boldness, courageousness, and a solid work ethic in exchange for these, quote, shortcuts. And that is my concern. It's my concern that a lot of our fortitude and our will is being exchanged for these shortcuts, right? And and I, I wanted to give a quick example, right? Because it's so funny how our desires and our fears play into all this. So we were in Philadelphia recently, Whitney and I on a business trip. We go to the Natural Products Expo out east and we were in Philadelphia visiting friends and we went out to like this this uh, uh, beer tasting place and there was this really cute girl in a car outside of the beer place. And you know, she's there with this uh, with her kid in the car and, and, and they're like, oh, this girl's checking you out. Like you should go say hi, she's really cute. And I'm just like, ah, I was feeling all shy. Why was I feeling shy? Because I am not in the practice of going up to random women I have never met, (laughs) even if they're shooting energy at me and introducing myself like, what am I going to say? Hi, I saw you looking at me. You're cute. It's like, I didn't know what the hell to say. So all these things are playing through in my head. Is she going to think I'm a creep? Is she going to reject me? What do I say? But you know what? I ultimately was like, there's an opportunity here to connect with a person And what if instead of trying to be strategic about it or protect my ego or protect myself from rejection, just go up and like say whatever comes to my mind. Mm -hmm. No plan. Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes no plan is the best plan. So I treated this moment, you know, I went up and I was just like, hey, uh, I'm Jason. I was just in there with my friends and they were, you know, they were elbowing me because, you know, they... They thought you were cute. I think you're cute too. I just want to come up and say hello and introduce Which myself. Which is amazing to witness as a woman. Like I was like sitting there going, wow, like I hope this woman appreciated that because you were so vulnerable. Yeah. And I think your part of your point is that vulnerability is, it is a practice. Yeah. And, you know, if you haven't read any of Brene Brown's about, you know, vulnerability and shame and all of that, it's like, a lot of us, I think we go to online dating because it's less vulnerable. Way we can hide fun. behind our screens. Yes. And we can put up the most perfect photos of us. And and we don't, again, as a woman, like the time it takes, and I, I actually am not like, I don't spend a ton of time getting ready, but the effort it takes to put on makeup, brush my hair, pick out an outfit, you know, all of that, it's so exhausting. How much better than you just take a photo of you looking your best and slap it up on some online dating site, and then there you go. But then we have that issue, which I'm sure men experience a lot more. It's like you meet a woman in person, and she might not look like those photos anymore or at that very moment. And so it's kind of misleading. But coming back to your experience in Philadelphia is like how amazing that you could just go up and be vulnerable be yourself. You weren't like prepared. You weren't out there that day looking to date. You were just hanging out with your friends. Exactly. And so you were like the real you. And that's incredibly refreshing. And and I think that's something most of us really want. Yeah. But to your point again, you almost didn't do it because you were out of practice. Well, and I was scared. And think of how many missed opportunities there are, like <laughs> missed connections or whatever, is you 
see somebody and you're interested in them, but your fear or your lack of practice gets in your way. And think of how many people like miss connecting with one another because of that. It's kind of sad. And what do people say? I'm not ready. Yep. People say that. And and let's just like riff on that for two seconds, right? Readiness. Yes. I do believe that preparation can make it easier for us to seize opportunities when they come. I do believe that. But I also believe that there is a part of our cosmology, if you will, as beings that need to get better at improvising in the moment when we don't feel prepared, when we don't feel ready. You know, it's like I I talked to, you know, so many friends of ours have become parents recently. And it's like every single one has said like, we were ready. Like, it's our first kid. Like, you can read all the books and you can do all of the things. Like, I, I remember just to deviate for a second, like the first car I ever worked on when I was 16 with my cousin. It's like, oh, well, this is how you take out a transmission and this is how, you know, you work on it. And that. Like, yes, theoretically, but was I ready to like rip a transmission out of a, a 78 Pontiac Grand Lamont? Like, hell no. I didn't know what I was doing. But yet life begs us to be courageous. Life begs us to jump into the void and trust that we will be okay. And it's like this is coming up in some form all the time for all of us. And so I think the overall message here, if I may interpret it, is for us to build the muscle of jumping into the void and being courageous and practicing this in different ways in our life instead of, for some of us, hiding behind what's convenient, hiding behind what's, quote, easy, because that's a conditioning that our society is inculcating in us right now. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I think that's that's slowly eroding our will and it's slowly eroding our courage and to your point, slowly eroding our vulnerability. You know, I have this joke in my stand-up set, you know this because you've seen it, about like when you start dating someone, you know, usually the first date is instead of you, it's your PR representative. It's like, <laughs> hi, I'm Jason. I was the first plant-based chef with a show on the cooking channel. I am the uh, owner of five animals, all rescued by the way. And uh, yes, I am actually up for the Nobel Peace Prize, which is great because then it could be the Robel Peace Prize. How about you? You know, and then she goes on to tell me about like <laughs> saving children in Rwanda and that she graduated from Yale with magna cum laude. But you know damn well, six months from there, eight months from there, when you guys are dating, what happens? She's going to show up in like sweatpants and period panties and stains on her shirt and her hair undone. And like, you're going to realize she has daddy issues. I'm going to show up with my abandonment issues with kale chips stuck in my teeth, you know, smoking a joint or whatever. And it's like, why can we just let, let's just be more transparent when we meet people of like, how about a question like this? Cool. So what keeps you up at night? What's the most challenging thing in your life right now? What are you in pain about? Like, we don't ask these questions on first dates. It's like, here I am in my perfect world. And then eight months later, you're like, how could, like, I didn't know you were screwed up. We're all screwed up. Well, yeah. Okay. Like, let's just get real about it. And so I feel like the more real we can be, and this is a huge thing for Whitney and I, is like bringing reality, bringing vulnerability, bringing realness of like, yes, we're all in pain and we're all suffering and we all have things we're working on. Let's not hide those things and act like we're all freaking perfect. I don't mean in just dating. I mean in the world in general. Yeah. Like, Come as you are, trust that you are enough, even when you're imperfect, even as you are flawed, even as you are trying to grow and you're struggling to grow and you're struggling to change, you're struggling. We are all in the same boat, mm-hmm. all of us to different degrees. But truly, I believe that is what unites us in the human condition. 
is the striving to be greater. And also, not just that, but the acknowledgement of our flaws and our pain and our suffering. Let's just get real about it. Yeah. That was a massive rant. Well, I think it's a good note to end on. I do too. And I think a big theme of this episode has been a lot about self-awareness. And in order to become more courageous, you need to have the self-awareness and you need to recognize when you're using the shortcuts and you're trading your vulnerability for something just because it feels easy Mm -hmm. or convenient. And I think that visual of you meeting that woman in Philadelphia is such a great example of that is that she probably wasn't expecting to meet you either. And she was there in her car with her kid or, or somebody's kid that she was with. And uh, maybe she wouldn't have been, maybe she would have dressed differently or looked differently, or maybe, you know, like there's so many things that, that she might've overthought if she was planning on meeting you. You know, I remember (laughs) I went on an online date once and it wasn't until like halfway through the date that the guy told me that he had a kid. And I was like, why did he leave out such a important thing? Was he afraid that I wouldn't want to go on a date with him because he had a kid? You know, and I just, who knows what it was, but my point being, maybe she wouldn't, if if that was in fact her child, maybe she wouldn't have told you that right away. Or maybe, you know, like who knows, or she would have led with that. And maybe you would have not wanted to date her because she had a child or, you know, like, but it was just so authentic that she was just with that child in the car, hanging out, doing whatever they were doing. And she also had the opportunity to make eye contact with you. And she had the opportunity to like give you signals that she was interested which I'm sure as a man made it easier for you to find the courage. And again, we don't really get that on online dating. You know how it is. Most online dating is like, hi, how are you? Good. And then it's like you you don't hear someone's voice. You don't hear their tone of voice. You know, there's so many factors. And someone might just give up or think, oh, this person must not like, you know, like all of these things we misinterpret through technology. But anyways, we could continue going on about, on about online dating. It's just that ongoing self-awareness and then learning how to be braver and learning how to be more sensitive and and figuring out what you need as an individual that makes such a huge difference in life. Agreed. Let's all get to the nitty gritty of who we are at the core. And I think that's an ever evolving, there is no end point. That's an infinite game, if you will. That's Mm -hmm. an infinite game that I think it never ends. Knowing ourselves, know thyself, that's a lifelong journey. There is no destination to knowing oneself. It's always a journey. So mm-hmm. we're just encouraging you to, to be on that journey, to trust that journey through the bumps and the storms and the monsters that may come because it's all part of it. And we're all, again, we are all, whether we are aware of it or not, in the same giant boat traversing these waters together. Mm-hmm. Well, I would really love to hear from you, the listener. So you can send us a message on social media or email or maybe we'll have another form of communication set up on our website. (laughs) So if you go to our website, which is listed in the show notes, you can find the best ways to communicate with us and give us some feedback or share your thoughts. You know, one thing that I'm very passionate about, and I think Jason is too, is supporting people and really building a community. And I think a lot of people get used to feeling like they don't matter and their thoughts don't matter, their words don't matter, but we want you to know that you matter 
and we genuinely would love to hear from you and we will do our best to respond. But know that if you communicate with us, we will be at least listening and taking into our minds and our hearts what you're saying. So please don't hesitate in whatever form of communication works best for you. I know sometimes most people are listening to podcasts while they're traveling or doing other things, multitasking in some way or another. So when you find it convenient for you, please send us a message. And we look forward to hearing from you. We out? Because I want to suck down more of this amazing drink you just made. <laughs> I've been drinking the tea throughout this. Yeah, no. And Jason's been, been trying to be very quiet over there. Yeah. Enough, but... enough gum flapping. More drinking. <laughs> well, thank you for being with us, beautiful friend. And we will see you again for another episode of the Wellevator Podcast with Whitney and Jason. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.